0: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised.
1: On today's Court TV podcast, after losing his extradition battle, Kenosha shooter Kyle Rittenhouse was back in court for a bail hearing and things got heated. Court TV's Ted Rollins will join us with the latest updates, including audio from that hearing. The big question is, will this case go to trial, or will Rittenhouse get a plea deal? Our guest, attorney Nima Romani thinks no deal should be offered, and he'll tell us why.
0: This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan. Welcome to
1: the Core TV podcast. I'm Vinny Politan. Thank you so much for listening, for downloading, and for sharing this podcast with your friends. Um, you know, with all the demonstrations and riots and things that have happened this summer, very few cases um, related to this have have bubbled up to the top as as cases that people have been talking about, or widely interested in, because there's been a ton of criminal cases that have come out of these demonstrations and riots across our country. But there's really only two that are, are kind of on my radar uh, in a big way. One is the case out of Denver involving a guy who was working security for a local news station who shot and killed uh, a protester. And he's locked up, uh, did not get bond, and we're following that one. The other one, I think that's even uh, higher profile, is the one that involves a 17 year old. His name is Kyle Rittenhouse. He's from Illinois. And there's a protest, demonstration, and riots taking place uh, close by to where he lives, but in a completely different state, in a completely different city, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And for some reason, I don't know. I haven't spoken to her. We understand that his mom drives him, he's 17, drives him to Kenosha, and someone in Wisconsin gives him an AR-15, and then he is in the streets of Kenosha, 17 years old. I mean, that's young, and and, and I don't care how much training you have, how mature you are, You know, 17-year-old being in the middle of all of that And then, you know, with an AR-15. And I understand he's probably trained, been shooting guns for years, but still he's 17 years old. I mean, I have a 17-year-old. so But that's not what the case is about. What the case is about now is what happened afterwards. Once he was there, uh, there was some violence that broke out, and he ended up shooting three people. Two of them died. And now he's been charged with murder. He's been extradited back to Kenosha, Wisconsin, and he's now got to face these charges as an adult. And he's facing the potential of life without the possibility of parole. And, and I mentioned two people are dead, by the way. So he was in court this week, and uh, we got us some interesting, interesting uh, insight, I think, into the attitudes and the um, case and the issues that are going to bubble up through this one as well. And I want to bring in Court TV anchor Ted Rollins, who's been following this very closely. Ted, is is my assessment right or am I missing something? Because in all the, you know, protests, demonstrations and riots, there have been tons of arrests and tons of crimes that have taken place. But really, um, to me, this is the one that seems to be on, on, on top of the rest. And we really haven't been talking about many others.
2: Yeah, and,
3: and the reason is because the facts of the case are um, are different, right? I mean, most of the arrests that took place are people that went to the protest and did something wrong and were arrested, and you know, move on. It, it is what it is. This is different because you've got uh, two sides here, and you've got two different stories and two ways to look at the exact same facts, the exact same with the video. I mean, just take the video. You can look at the video and
1: say. Oh, Explain the video. Explain the video to folks who maybe haven't seen it. I mean, I think you've seen it. And and check the show notes, folks, because you can get access to all this stuff. But describe that video, what happens, when what we see, Ted.
3: Kyle Rittenhouse has an AR-15 in his hand. He's running down a street in Kenosha. There's chaos around him and some... Two people are basically chasing him down. And this is the second shooting, which is widely publicized. There is video of the first shooting, but it's not clear, um, and it just doesn't have the same opportunity to absorb the situation as, as the second shooting. And in this video, Rittenhouse is clearly attacked by two people, turns around and shoots, kills one of them, injures another one. The question is, was this self-defense? Many people say yes, absolutely self-defense. Others say, no, he didn't need to shoot the other unarmed people. He put himself in a situation that created his issue. Um, So that's where we are. That's why this case is so compelling, unlike the thousands of other arrests that were made at protests around the dead.
1: Right. For, you know, throwing bricks, attacking someone or, you know, whatever it is. Now, I want you to take a listen uh, to Mark Richards. This is the attorney for 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse. They're in court, and this is a first appearance, and it's also a bond hearing. So they're trying to figure out, okay, what's the bond going to be set at? How much money does he have to post uh, to get out of jail? Let's listen.
4: My client is 17 years old. He has no prior juvenile, no other record whatsoever. He has ties to the community. His father lives in the community. He worked in the community. The self-defense claim in this case is overwhelming. It's on videotape. And under all of those circumstances, three quarters of a million dollars in electronic monitoring is more than sufficient. We have no objection to the non-monetary conditions, but at a certain point, the state can bury their head in the sand. And in reality, who struck my client first? Who attacked my client first, Mr. Rosenbaum, the decedent? My client's running down towards the police line when he's attacked by a mob. We're not talking about demonstrators. We're talking about rioters who had ill intent in their heart, and unfortunately, they came in second.
1: All right, Ted. So that's Mark Richards, and he he's painting a picture very clearly. And they've been very aggressive, the defense in this case, in in putting their version of what happened out out there in the public domain and they're saying he's the one who's the victim.
3: Absolutely. That's part of their strategy from the fighting extradition on. This has been out front and center. They've received donations A GoFundMe page was, was put up and shut down. They now have a new mechanism for donations and people are literally donating thousands of dollars for his defense. Um, That's a strategy. The, Painting the picture of this kid being a, a wonderful person is accurate. I mean, it, you know, he, he was, a, he loved law enforcement. He's a lifeguard, according to his family. The reason he was there was because a family friend owned the business and was asking for volunteers. And he said, oh, let me go, let me go. And, and mom took him to Kenosha to be there to help protect a business. That's all well and good. But two people are dead because of this kid. And that's the reason he's sitting in that courtroom in Wisconsin and that's the reason why um the judge said sorry you're you're not walking it with less than a million in fact it's going to be 2 million dollars
4: bail.
1: Yeah, 2 million dollar bond is what, what's needed to get him out. Now, during this bond hearing, one of the victim's fathers spoke and I, and I found this you know it, it it there's there's anger and there's heartbreak and it's mixed together and I understand it. I've never had to deal with Uh, the tragedy that he is dealing with, which is the loss of a young son, which is, you know, the worst thing that can happen to a parent. It is, is, is the worst. And he was able to speak and you can actually hear his pain. um, But he also paints a picture of, of the way he sees what happened to his son.
4: Kyle Rittenhouse thinks he's above the law. He's been treated as such uh, by law enforcement. And so he believes he's justified in this case, and for, for him to run uh, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. Uh, and, and this defense, of uh, self-defense, that is impossible. That is impossible. I don't know what part of the video you watched, but he already killed a guy, shot him in the head, and then tried to run. And my son was a hero. He tried to stop him, and so did everybody else. He was an active shooter. And he tried to flee, and my son lost his life protecting other people. He was a hero.
1: And I understand John Huber's view of all of this, and I'm sure there are many who agree with him. And perhaps there are many who were there that night who agree with him that he was a hero, that he was going after, trying to stop someone that they saw as a threat. But there were two words that he said that I found very interesting because it's it's a word that we've used a lot before or a phrase active shooter and his son is the one in the second shooting he's one of the victim he's the victim in the second shooting who has the skateboard who strikes Kyle Rittenhouse with the skateboard and then gets shot and killed at that moment does the video demonstrate that he's an active shooter at the moment that um Mr. Huber's son is going after him?
3: No. But he had already shot and killed somebody and was now running down the street from So from John Huber's standpoint, my son went to a protest because he feels something. He goes there armed with what? His voice and his skateboard. This kid shows up with an AR15. He doesn't have a real passion here. He's he's not, he's there for a fight. So from John Huber's standpoint, this kid was an active shooter and his son was a hero because his son saw what happened and now sees this lunatic running down the street with an AR-15 after already killing one person. So his boy goes and tries to stop him and he ends up dead too. It's a very legitimate way to look at the exact same video that other people look at and say, no, this is self-defense. This poor little 17-year-old was caught up in something he couldn't handle, and he, he had to protect himself.
1: Yeah, the, one, the one fact, I think, though, that may help the defense here is when they say he's running away. He's running directly towards the police line because there was a line where police were not going any further. And there was a line of, of, of vehicles with the lights flashing, which was very obvious to everyone. And it was, you know, within a short distance of where the shooting takes place. And yeah, that's the, the direction he's going. So there's been a, a lot of discussion about a citizen's arrest being made here, but he's, he's running towards police. And I'm, to me the, the complete picture um, neither side is giving the complete picture when they when they describe what they're seeing you know what I mean where one side avoids the part that he's going towards the police the other side kind of avoids the part that hey he had just shot someone so
3: yeah that's a fascinating case and the police component really is is um, fascinating too because before there's video of Rittenhouse, talking to police officers his social media set you know he's he's dedicated to police he's a 17 year old who wants to be a cop or at least loves policing and so his mindset is yes i'm going to run to my allies well guess what he in his mindset when he shows up there with his ar15 and his 17 year old brain he thinks i'm a cop they're the bad guys i am a good guy he deputized himself and he was And reinforced, he was reinforced by his mother that brought him there, reinforced by the person that gave him the AR-15, and reinforced by those police officers who gave him water and said, thank you for your service. That's the mindset that this kid had when he was put into a very volatile situation that he couldn't handle.
1: Right. And the other part of it is, looking at it from the other perspective, is he had just shot someone in self-defense, And the one thing in all the cases that we've covered in self-defense, we always say, well, all right, you've just shot someone in self-defense. Well, what did you do next? You know, did you did you just flee the scene or did you go and find police? Did you go to police? So I think what the defense is going to argue, he just shot someone. He's now in danger because there's a mob chasing him and he's going to police, puts his arms up approaches the police vehicles to try to tell them what just happened and the police because of all the radio traffic of all the insanity that is taking place in the streets of kenosha wave this kid off and say get out of here just get away from us we've got to go deal with something down the road that just happened and yeah. and what did he do next though Vinny? he went home got car and he went back
3: to illinois
1: he went home he didn't stay around
3: and say hey by the way i'm the guy that shot two people you may want to we want to talk
1: to him. He, he no, went home God. and turned himself in. He went home and turned himself in to the local police. So I, it, this is going to be a tough one. This is going to be a tough one. But bail, $2 million, right? Do Any indication that through all these donations and everything that he might be able to get himself freed on, on the $2 million bond? He's got uh, half
3: a million dollars right now on the latest website that is accepting um, donations. So he's got a long way to
1: go. All right. Ted Rowland's Court TV anchor, on top of it, as always, thank you so much. As I mentioned, folks, Kyle Rittenhouse facing the potential of life without the possibility of parole, the rest of his life behind bars. But he's claiming not just that, oh, I'm innocent. I am the victim here. So the the question is, in a case like this, where the evidence is like this, is this a case where perhaps prosecutors should reach out and say, hey, here's a plea offer, a potential deal that we will offer you. You admit your guilt to something less than what we have charged you with here. You do something less than life without the possibility of parole, and we resolve this case without a trial. Well, should prosecutors do that? Up next, I'm going to bring in a former prosecutor, and he's, he was a good one, uh, super smart. Uh, who does not think that prosecutors should offer a deal to this 17-year-old. Nima Romani will join us from the left coast next.
0: For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. Deal or no deal. And that's
1: an issue that prosecutors have to deal with all the time in every case. And, and, you know, 95% of the cases that they get are resolved with plea deals and they give plea offers. It's just standard operating procedures. But the cases that we talk about on Court TV, the cases that you see on Court TV, and especially murder cases... Sometimes there is no deal. Sometimes they don't make an offer because why should I give this person a deal? I mean, they committed the ultimate offense. They should get the ultimate punishment under uh, our jurisdiction. Now, for Kyle Rittenhouse, it's life without the possibility of parole in Wisconsin. I mean, that's the ultimate. There's no death penalty in in Wisconsin, so that's not even on the table. Um, So the maximum punishment is life. So the question is, should prosecutors offer some sort of a deal? And let's not forget the facts again. There's a video of the second shooting. There's another grainier, more from the distance video of the first shooting. There's an allegation that the whole thing is self-defense, right? This isn't a case of, of premeditated, I'm plotting, I'm planning, I'm going to take out my spouse kind of trial that you see on Court TV often. No, this is something completely different. So let me bring in our guest. He is a great former federal prosecutor out in Los Angeles, Nima Romani, joining the podcast for the very first time, his maiden voyage. Great to see you. Benny,
2: great seeing you too.
1: All right. So um, this is the part of the podcast where I bring in someone who may not see things exactly the same way I do. Oftentimes we are, um, you know, kind of seeing things the same way because we're both former prosecutors, although I was on the state level, you were on the federal level, I had to deal with a little less evidence, not as many confessions as you did in all your cases, but let let me ask you, why would you not offer this defendant a deal based upon the video that's out there, the allegations of self-defense, the age of the defendant, the circumstances surrounding it, why does he not uh, get a deal from you.
2: Because he's a criminal and a murderer. You know, this is someone who, you know, is 17, unlawfully possessing a weapon, not just any weapon, an AR 15. He's there violating curfew, right? 8 p.m. curfew, vigilante, crossing the state line, defending some business that claims they never hired him. You know, so he is the person that brings violence to otherwise unarmed protesters. And ultimately, he kills two people. So you're going to give this kid a break when two people are dead and one is injured because of his actions? Absolutely not. This is not the type of case that deserves any kind of offer. And frankly, he wouldn't accept an offer because he's going to go for the home run, a complete defense verdict based on self-defense.
1: I'm not sure. I think if the, the, the right offer was out there, I think these two sides could agree because of the age. 17 and you know there's it's a it's a whole life if this was a 60 year old man 50 year old man there is no deal to be made right uh, but he's 17 so there's an opportunity for a a second chapter down the road Here, here's the thing that i always took into consideration when i was talking about a plea offer you know it's the nature of the circumstances obviously it's the history of the defendant all right this is a defendant that has no history um there's also the likelihood of success at trial is something that has to be taken into account. Doesn't I'm not talking about the cost of doing it. I never put that in in the equation. But, you know, is this a case, even though I believe in it, that hey, you know what? I might have a little trouble getting over the hump on this one. So maybe to to ensure a conviction, I dangle something out there. Do you, would you put that in the in the mix here as I try to convince you, Nima?
2: It's offensive to the victims and their family to cut any type of deal in this case. Yeah, any case, right, there's a possibility of a not guilty verdict, especially a case like this where, you know, it's so politicized and folks have such strong feelings on, you know, the civil unrest and these protesters. But, you know, to cut, you know, a manslaughter deal or a reckless deal or even worse, you know, misdemeanor deal. I mean, that's just not something that you could do if you want to pursue justice and you want these types of events not to happen in the future. You don't want folks going to protest because of some political view with semi-automatic weapons and causing this type of violence. There's a number let's of reasons t- why like, you don't do it.
1: Well, let's talk about some of those charges and and, and what kind of deal could be out there potentially. Cause I, I look at this and I say, okay, um, he's 17 years old okay and is that a mitigating factor is that something we take into consideration the youth of the offender and sometimes it is in some jurisdictions in some cases that's something that you look at but i mean something less than life let's 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 start with the reckless cuz you mentioned reckless second degree reckless homicide whoever recklessly causes the death of another human being and and under this you could get 25 Years, two victims, that's 50 years, Nima, 50 years. And then in Wisconsin, you can bifurcate the the sentence so you can uh, decide, okay, a certain amount of the 50 years will be incarcerated and then supervised release. How about this? Two counts, consecutive, 50 years, 30 incarcerated, 20 years of supervised release, and of course, conditions no weapons, uh, things along that nature. That way, he gets out, he's 47 years old, he has a chapter two in his life, and um, he's he's still under supervision until he's 67 years old.
2: I don't think he takes that deal. Um, I would you don't offered. think he would take that? I don't think he would take that. You know, John Pierce's attorney, I mean, the statements they made, Look, and I know attorneys say all sorts of things um, and then they come to the bargaining table, but, you know, the statements from the attorneys, Rittenhouse's own statements to his fans and, you know, the political junkies that are following this, he's not going to take a 30 year deal. So I'm not going to offer it, you know, as a prosecutor, I want to be very, very aggressive in a case like this so they know that I'm planning to take this case to trial. Now, if Rittenhouse comes to me and says, hey, let's deal, you know, maybe, maybe I consider something like that. But even then, I wouldn't offer the 30. I would make him plead to the top count, the first-degree intentional homicide, and put it on a judge and have him or her determine the appropriate sentence because that's justice. That's justice for these victims, you know. And I would certainly, as a prosecutor, argue that life is appropriate. That's the best type of offer—an open plea to the top counts that I would do in a case like this. People are dead, you know. This isn't a—but
1: that's that, that, that's a non offer, right? That's really a non offer, right. right? I mean, plea, gil- the, plea, plea guilty to the to the charges.
2: So, name is <laughs>
1: tough to deal with, folks. I'm telling you, I told you, he's a tough prosecutor. And and when he takes the case to trial, he's going to win it. Now. When you look at this one, let's be honest now, okay? Based on the facts here and the allegations, okay, Do you are you 0 to 10? How confident do you think prosecutors should be in pursuing the top, top charge, which is the first-degree intentional homicide?
2: I'm an 8 or 9 on this one, and this is why, out of 10, because the first victim is coming at him with a plastic bag right? The second victim is coming at him with a skateboard. You know, the third had a handgun, wasn't pointed at him, but, um, and again, he's not killed, fortunately, but is it reasonable? Is a jury going to think that someone is reasonable in taking this kind of violent action against someone that throws a plastic bag at you or tries to hit you with a skateboard? I mean, the argument's going to be that, you know, Rittenhouse thought that these individuals were going to not only disarm him but use his own weapon against him. But that's and, so and far- don't
1: forget, there's there's a gunshot that is fired before he fires a gunshot.
2: So that's yeah, also is.
1: happening, and that's on video. The sound of it, at least, is on video.
2: Yeah, there is there's that gunshot in the air. Um, but again, it wasn't the victim; it was someone else. We don't know why those warning shots were fired. And again, is it reasonable if you hear a gunshot in a protest for you to unload four rounds into someone that's lunging at you with a plastic bag? It's just not reasonable, Vinny. That's why I'm confident in this case.
1: Well, let, let, me, let me throw at you second-degree intentional homicide, okay, which is, which is kind of like manslaughter in Wisconsin, where they have mitigating circumstances, and two of them arguably apply here. Do you think prosecutors can, can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that they don't apply? Adequate provocation. Death was caused under the influence of adequate provocation in this case. And this isn't a defense. This is a mitigating circumstance, which would take it from first-degree intentional homicide down to second-degree intentional homicide. Unnecessary defensive force. Death was caused because the actor believed he or she or another was in an imminent danger or death or great bodily harm that the force used was necessary to defend endangered person. So this is basically him saying I I'm I am involved in a case of self-defense. It's not a defense to the crime, but it's a mitigating factor which can knock it down to second degree intentional homicide. I mean, I'm reading that and and I and to me that describes this case almost not directly on point.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, Vinny. the prosecution yes! has some exposure yes! here.
1: Yes! Wait, wait. Okay. I'm gonna have the producer rewind that and play that back right now. Okay, go ahead. Continue, um, Neva.
2: So the prosecution has exposure here, right? Because even if Rittenhouse's belief was unreasonable, he acted in self-defense unreasonably, but he believed it subjectively. That may be enough to get that mitigation and get him down from first to second degree. So, all right, Nima. Yeah.
1: Nima, isn't the job of the prosecutor, though, justice, which is the truth, right? It is. What do you think the truth is? Do you think that this 17 year old packed up from Illinois, got to Wisconsin, and that night he was heading out? I'm going to shoot a demonstrator. I'm going to, I'm going hunting tonight. I'm going to kill some people. Or do you think he went there? to protect the business, and do you believe that he thought he was under attack when the mob was chasing him down the street and when the, um, I think he's a convicted sex offender, he didn't know that, but uh, we found out subsequently, the convicted sex offender, who's like in his 30s, was coming after him. So what do you think the truth is, right? Because aren't we supposed to dispense justice, which is the truth?
2: The truth may be that he reasonably thought that he was, excuse me, he unreasonably thought that he was under attack. Um, And again, that's maybe where the prosecution ends up, but I don't offer that deal. I do not offer that deal unless they come and ask for it. And then I have a sit down with the families and explain before I offer that deal why there's some risk and why there's some exposure for the prosecution's case before I do anything like that.
1: All right, so I think I've now talked you down to uh, second-degree intentional homicide, and we can we can wrap this baby up. Uh, it's sixty years. Uh, do we want to go concurrent, meaning both victims' uh, sentence are served no, no, uh, at the same time, <laughs> or is it going to be consecutive, one after the other?
2: One after the other, Vinny. Two lives right. lost. Stack those sentences.
1: All right, can we bifurcate it? Can we uh, take some of the time as supervised release on the back end and cut down the incarceration time?
2: Not at all. All right, so so your
1: final (laughs) offer, and and, and let the record reflect, he is now in in plea offer land, is second-degree intentional homicide, consecutive sentences, so it's 120
2: years, is your offer. My best and final, Vinny. It's not going to get better than that.
4: Which,
1: not, which basically is no different than a life sentence, <laughs> unless the technology changes a lot in the next few years. Unbelievable. Oh well. All right. Well, Neema Romani, that's why we brought you in here uh, because of uh, you understand this stuff. You know the way the system works, and uh, love having you on the show and uh, appreciate it. Please come back. Thanks for having me, Vinny. All right. All right. I. I you know, it wasn't the best negotiation, but I, I, I got him down from life to 120 years. <laughs> There's no difference, folks, by the way. All right, now, when we come back, and, and Nima mentioned this, um, the politics of this case. And I want to explain to you why the politics of this case will likely prevent this case from ever coming to a verdict, okay? My prediction, no verdict Because of politics, I'll
0: explain it next. true crime series these are the true stories behind the trials renowned journalist ashley banfield takes you behind the scenes of the most compelling cases in history we focus on the detail we focus on the evidence and investigates the murders lies and alibis that led to justice in the courtroom this is the new chapter in true crime judgment with ashley banfield all new episodes sunday nights at eight on court tv
1: All right, in order to have a verdict in a trial, all 12 jurors must agree. They must agree guilty or they must agree not guilty. Anything short of that is a hung jury, is a mistrial, which can turn into a do-over if, in fact, prosecutors want to proceed. Okay? So that's what's needed. Now, I want to look at this case. This Kyle Rittenhouse case has been infiltrated by politics at the highest level. At the highest level. When all this happened, you had the two candidates who were running for president at the time, okay, opining on this case, each for a different side. You had President Trump in support of Rittenhouse, you had Joe Biden. In support of the demonstrators and, the, and the, the victims who were shot, saying, "This is murder," and you've got this is self-defense." and at the highest, highest level, and that's the way this case has broken down, you post I've posted the video, I've put it up online, and the comments come right down, red, blue, however you want to determine it, right, left, liberal, conservative, um, however you you label those two sides, that's the way it breaks down. Because the same people are looking at the video, the same exact video, and seeing two exact opposite things. And these are not people who are related to the victims or the defendant. I'm talking about people who have nothing to do with this, see it completely differently. And their their beliefs are dug in and passionate and 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 real they're not faking it you know sometimes people fake outrage one way or the other no this is this is legit i mean the people who believe this is a murderer this is an out of control they believe it to the nth degree and there is nothing there is nothing that the defendant or his attorneys could say that could change their minds and flip the coin over there are people, whether they're conservative, Second Amendment people, whoever it is, look at that and say, this is someone you know, with a weapon, with a gun, who's being attacked. And when you're being attacked, whether it's by a mob or by, or being cornered by someone else, and they're trying to get your weapon and take your weapon and guns are being fired, you are permitted in our country to defend yourself. And that's what he did. And there's nothing that a prosecutor is going to be able to say that is going to be able to convince that person the other way. You're just not going to change them. Um, the, The beliefs are so, so dug in. So now let's look at the case. And how did I start this whole thing? I said, in order for there to be a verdict, 12 people have to agree. Guilty or 12 people have to agree not guilty. So are 12 people from Wisconsin going to look at this and say, yeah, that was self-defense? Are 12 people going to look at that and say, yeah, that's, that's first-degree intentional homicide? No way. No way. And, and that's why I wanted to have that discussion with Nima, because if I'm the prosecutor, I have to recognize that. And if I, if my ultimate goal is to get a conviction and lock someone up for killing human beings and firing a weapon, then maybe I've got to cut a deal. And I say that because it's always advantage defendant, okay, because anything short of 12 people saying guilty is always a victory for the defense because they have not been convicted and they are presumed innocent. So you could try this case, it could be 6-6, you could try the case, it could be 8-4, you could try the case, it could be 10-2. The next time it might be 210. But in all those scenarios, the defense wins because you have not convicted this defendant and he's still presumed innocent. And at some point, he's either going to make bond, or if you try the case four times and, and can't convict him, the judge is going to grant him bond. So if your goal is the prosecutor is to have someone be punished for what you believe is criminal behavior in a case like this, where, the le- where I believe the likelihood of success on first-degree intentional homicide is almost impossible, you got to bite the bullet. By the same token, if you're representing a 17-year-old who has 60 years in, uh, you know, in, in, ahead of him in his life to live and he's facing life without the possibility of parole, I'm not rolling those dice. I'm I'm listening for a deal. I don't know what the magic number is, but there's got to be a number. That all right? Listen, all right. Do your time. You get out. You'll you'll have a life. It's not the same life you have, but you don't have that choice anymore because you killed two people, and you potentially could have no life on the outside. So if you want if you want a chance to be out, you know, in your in your 40s or 50s or whatever it is, you know, whatever the deal is, you got to bite the bullet. This case is now political. Our country is divided. Wisconsin, as a state, you know, might not be sliced exactly down the middle, but it's pretty close to down the middle. And I don't think there's any way you're going to get 12 jurors on that, on that jury who are all on one side or all on the other side. And I just think the people who are dug in on each side of this political spectrum uh, will not bend on this one. They will not. This one is different. I've never seen a reaction like this before on social media and the way this case is being perceived. George Floyd wasn't like this. George Floyd is not like this. It's not breaking down by political parties. This one breaks down by how you see the world through your political filter. And these days, you know and I know, you can't change people's minds. The only thing you could do is unfriend them. But when you're in a jury room, you can't block another juror. You can't unjuror them. You all have to agree. Try to do that on social media with this case. That's why I think a deal's got to be struck by both sides. All right, folks, this is the Court TV podcast. I also have a television show. It's on every night, Monday through Friday, 8 to 11, taking you inside the world of crime and justice, and, of course, showing you all the highlights from the big cases around the nation. Now, if you have a digital antenna, please rescan it if you're not currently watching Court TV so you can find Court TV Make sure you check out our show notes. Lots of good stuff there. And, of course, always you can go to our website, CourtTV.com. I'm Vinny Politan. Have a great week. And,
0: as always, don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.